Right, good, good evening. Uh, for those of you who know, I love to come to this church when I'm working at the university, which I am all the time now. I come down here some evenings on receive mode, so that when I do arrive here, I'm not in a dog collar, my hands are that way or that way, and it's great to stand at the back and worship. So it's very special to be here and helping you during Tim's absence. Now then, tonight, the landing point tonight, please God, is that we are all going to experience the intimacy and the honesty and the authenticity that I believe God wants for us, Jesus models for us, and the Holy Spirit will enable. And we are going to go on from this talk, we're going to go uh, 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 after a time of confession, which will be led by the worship group and myself. We're, going to, we're, all, we're not quite sure how it'll work yet, but it will work. Purify my heart, okay? And we're then going to go straight into a time of communion. Uh, we'll probably have prayer ministry at the same time. So it's going to be intimate and holy chaos. Is that all right? But this is the way, in fact, just to unpack, to get, let's not be normal. Let's do something unusual, because God is unusual, correct? And God surprises us by doing things in unusual ways. Right, good. So the readings tonight are deliberately the readings set for today in the lectionary. Now, I realise the lectionary may be a strange word to the community at St. Matt's, and that's okay, because the teaching you have here is fantastic. I chose these readings tonight because all the other churches in the country, probably in the world, are preaching on these two, those who follow the lectionary. And that, for me, is a deliberate move to remind us that we are one church. There is only one Jesus Christ. And let's pause for a moment. Right at the start of this talk, think of the amazing diversity of God's creation. Think of the people who are different to us in many ways, also made in God's image. I'm chaplain at the university, as I've said. I'm chaplain for the next 10 days at the World Pentathlon World Championships in the STV. I've been appointed to that role, and it's great. I'm wandering around, sitting on benches, and people do come up and say hello. I say, oh, hello. But it is fantastic to see from all over the world, all colours, and fantastic people, incredibly people who are fit and sporting. So a little glimpse I'm having today of a, a, a glimpse normal and different to the normal everyday glimpse. Because we surround ourselves, don't we, with people, with people like ourselves, correct? We like people who agree with us, correct? <laughs> it's very good to realise that actually in God's heaven, there'll be lots of others too, which is good. But all of us are made in the image of God. And we should, in a way, be challenged, even humbled by that. It's a good thing. Um, I have always worked as somebody ordained outside church. I obviously worship in churches, but my location of ministry has been chaplaincy. Uh, I was either as a doctor, first of all, in a in a hospice, and now as chaplain. So I've experienced faith in the marketplace. I've experienced faith Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. And it's great. It's earthy, it's complicated, sometimes it's very difficult. But Jesus is the hope that we have in every single circumstance. Correct? good, please nod that way, that's good, that means you're still with me. Um, next, these are, these are warming up bullet points, all right? Next, the reawakening of faith in England. I believe faith is being reawakened, I really do believe that, 
and we should all be encouraged. This is an August congregation here, but you're all unique in God's eyes, correct? And loved by God, correct? And you will have a role to play in the incoming of God's kingdom, correct? Good. So, but the reawakening of faith, I believe, is based on three foundation stones. One is a sense of unity. We must seek the common ground. There's a huge amount of common ground. And when we seek the common ground between Christian people, mainly the life, death, the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we realise that that is far bigger than the odd things that cause differences of opinion. And the two I'm going to cite today are what happens to bread and wine in communion. There is fantastic disagreement in the church on that. But we all know the intimacy of, of Holy Communion, correct? Gender is another thing where there's difference. But we can cope with those differences because the common ground is huge. We must seek Christian unity. And it's fantastic to see people who may pray and praise differently, but whose life is founded on Jesus Christ. So unity, second word is compassion. If we practice compassion, it means we realise the people we don't like are also made in the image of God, correct? That's good too. So compassion avoids us from being judgmental. And prayer, unity, compassion and prayer. Now there are personal reminders for me, I'm going to share those with you too because I've been through uh, some difficult times, we have them occasionally. Uh, two or three weeks ago I was very uh, distracted by something on my mind, a person very close to me uh, is dying actually and that just happens to be something that's affecting me a bit. I went out as a marshal on park run, I normally do the park run, uh, I'm sub 30 by the way, oh well done Marge. I am most of the time. <laughs> But on this occasion, I was a marshal, okay, and it was raining, and I was at the end of the long run, the long woods. And I was doing my Bible in a year on the phone, and it was very good because I could do that while I got there in time. And the phrase that just hit me in between the eyes was Paul writing, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. I said, thank you, Lord. And all of a sudden, all the distractions, all the fuzz, you know, were dissipated. And I was reminded that Jesus actually is the person on which we build our lives. We prayed before the service tonight and prayed that somehow tonight, please God, all the interference, all the static, all the fuzz is cleared away. And the Holy Spirit can have good access to our hearts, the very depth of our being. The same thing happened to me in terms of refocusing a few years ago in this church. I may have told this story last time. I'll tell it again because it's very precious to me how I came here for an evening service. Uh, again, university, lots going on, a bit distracted, wanted some, good, wanted some good teaching, you see. And they said, oh, no, no, there's no sermon tonight. I said, what, no sermon? And I noticed that my friend Tim was in the band. So, okay, I better stay. You know, I've just arrived and he's waved at me, so I can't disappear now. Missing a sermon, you see. Anyway, the second song was Amazing Grace. And the second verse, Amazing Grace, how wonderful that grace appeared the hour I first believed. You know those words? And I was reminded forcibly of the moment I came back to faith in 1986. And I was in tears, because God was saying, Nigel, that's the point. Forget all the junk. Just remember that we are saved by grace. So, right, let's now think. If we think of those three words, I'm going to start the sermon now. Is that all right? Um, unity, compassion, and prayer. I want you to hold those three words, unity, compassion, and prayer. I do believe that reawakening is going to happen those, with those three words. 
I believe that people who don't understand faith yet, when they see disunity and division and argument and lack of compassion, they say, what are they on? And don't come any further. I do believe we must try these things. Let's set the scene, first of all, for the Romans reading. The Book of Romans is a very great book. If you haven't read it, read it. It's a cracker to read in one sitting. Cup of coffee, sit down, little notebook, and read it. It's a really great book. And there are various sections, and section nine, chapters 9 to 11 uh, is a really deep section. So 9 to 11, where Paul is discussing what happens to the Jews, his people. It is a huge issue for Paul as he unpacks. And we heard the conclusion of that, which I will try and explain with you. It's quite useful to think of the timeline of God's salvation that we've got from creation, whenever that was, to Jesus, the Old Testament era. We've then got Jesus' first coming to second coming, the era we are now in, New Testament era, and then eventually there will be heaven. And it's quite useful to, to remember that we are in that second era. We are in the era where there is the incoming kingdom of God. The salvation plan is still unfolding. It's not yet complete. We know that, don't we? Because Jesus says to us when he goes to heaven, he says, now, go out to all nations and make believers and I'll be with you. He's with us. That explains, by the way, why the, church, why the world is so complicated, because the kingdom of God is breaking in to a world that's pretty complex, correct? It isn't, isn't it? In fact, it's pretty awfully complex. In fact, it's awfully, 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 awfully complex. But Jesus is breaking in there. So we shouldn't be dismayed by the negative stuff we see, because that's authentic. That's real life at the moment. The wonderful thing, I believe, is that when we look for people of faith, we find them in unexpected places. There are far more, more, more people who believe in Jesus Christ than we know. And that's to God's glory, correct? Isn't it? But they're all, if you like, islands of faith in a world that is complicated. So we're in this era, and Paul writes this section, chapters 9 to 11 of Romans, to, to work out what is going to happen to the Jewish people. And the conclusion that we read is understood like this. To Paul, the fact that his own people, remember Paul describes himself as a Jew of Jews, tribe of Benjamin expert, he was beyond reproach, correct, as a Jew? He describes that about himself. And so it is an absolute tragedy to Paul that his own people rejected the Son of God. But then Paul explains in Romans that this rejection was in fact in order that Christ would be offered to the Gentiles. Paul explains that God had hardened Jewish hearts for a purpose and a time. The Jews then became hostile to God. But God's rejection cannot be permanent. God cannot go back on his word. And he quotes Isaiah in this passage. I'll just read the first sentence again. I ask you then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. So Paul is saying, okay, how does this work out? I've, I've got a theory, which he then explains in this next, those three chapters, 9 to 11. But the principles are this that the Jews were made hostile to God so that 
the planned salvation was available to all people. Jesus had to die. That had to happen through this way. Are you with me? It's sometimes quite, so, quite humbling to look at, look at sort of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He was present before the world began. Everything was made through him. Tom Wright talks about Jesus, comes back and lives on earth, or the Word comes, the Son of God lives on earth, in order to redeem the world that was created through him. What a concept. And part of that redemption was that he well, had to be crucified, correct? What was that mechanism? That mechanism was the Jews were made to become hostile. But God does not reject. And then the conclusion which we heard, it was a bit of a jump, wasn't it? And thank you for reading it. It was a bit of a jump to go to verse 29. Again, when you read the whole of the book of Romans, yes, you'll see it in context. But the concluding there is where he explains it. As far as... As the gospel is concerned, they, the, 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 the Jewish people, are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too now have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy. And he concludes, therefore, by saying that we are all saved by God's mercy. Paul, Paul cannot conceive that anyone can quote, of any nation can merit their own salvation. Everyone is saved by God's grace. Thank God for God, as Bishop Jim would say to me, we're all equal. Christians are forgiven sinners with L plates on. A good soundbite told me when I came back to faith, Christians are forgiven Sinners with elbates on. Good? Are you happy with that? Quite nice, isn't it? But Paul therefore argues in this first passage that the Jewish people are eventually saved. Read Romans is a good passage. But for us today, it's just showing God's infinite mercy for all people and the fact he does not go back on his word. He doesn't say the Israelites are the Old Testament people, now they've had it. No. The Old Testament is the forerunner of the Testament we're in. So then now to ourselves. Well, I'd like just to look at the Gospel, but I'd like to look in a different way. I'd like to let us allow it to examine ourselves. Yes, I know that Jesus is aiming at the Pharisees. And it's quite easy to hear this gospel reading as the Pharisees, they were, they were, you know, they, they were hypocrites, they were showmen, they were the people of persona, they say one thing and do another, they're blind guys, we can get all that. But isn't Jesus here asking us all to be honest with ourselves? Don't we all have personas? What did Jesus say? What comes out of our heart? And if we're really honest with ourselves, that should lead to repentance every day. At least it should certainly, in my case. We've talked about unity. Compassion here is important as we go into this next stage of this talk because we must be very gentle with ourselves too. One of the dangers about self-examination is that we can get a bit screwed up. 
with all the orters and I should of, and if I did that, this will happen. I don't want to do that. But what I do think is that we should um, listen to this gospel in relation to ourselves. I want to read a bit from Tom Wright. I don't usually quote, but I'm going to do this case because this puts it better than I could put it myself. But Tom Wright makes a comment on that first reading, and he says this. The real challenge of this passage, this is the first passage about what comes out of our mouth, then comes to all of us, especially if we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. We may not observe the purity codes of ancient Israel, but are our hearts, are our thoughts, are our intentions, and the casual words we utter, telling us that our own purity is less than complete? If so, what are we doing about it? A good question. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Does me. We sung Amazing Grace. I believe there are times, and maybe the time tonight as well, where we can just let the Holy Spirit search us in the safety and security of God's infinite love. This is a safe thing to invite. It may be a safe and a good uncomfortableness. But that's okay. Tom Wright goes on. Jesus is himself the remedy, as in his death and resurrection, and the gift of the Spirit, he deals with the wickedness and uncleanness that infects the human race. But the remedy needs to be applied to the, to the disease. There's a great danger in all of us, particularly those who are involved in Christian ministry of any type, whether it's, it's serving or preaching or leading worship, whatever it may be, that we, we can lose sight uh, that what we do becomes our persona. And I'm, I'm very wary of persona, because I am a me. Don't, don't forget, I was a surgeon in training, and surgeons are full of personas. So it's a, a continual reminder. And so finally, let's look at the Canaanite woman. Because I'm going to propose tonight, in this last passage that we heard, that the Canaanite woman, in fact, wraps all this up. Because I'm going to suggest to you that she displays authentic faith. Let's be clear that she is a Gentile and a woman. Two reasons why she would be out of kilter doing what she did. Because Jesus here is talking with Jews and is a Jew himself and a man. So it is socially a very unusual story. It's also quite difficult to understand, I would suggest to you. We can't duck it, because it's in Scripture. But did Jesus really say that? I only came to the lost tribe. Did he really say that? Well, yes, he did, because it's in the Gospel. But it is complex, isn't it? Doesn't it make it complex to you? It's, it sounds out of kilter with the Lord we understand. Well, what we need to do, then, is to go back into the timeline again. The timeline, we're in the second era. And Matthew's Gospel is the only account of this little story, the Canaanite woman. Matthew's Gospel is written 
to show a Jewish readership that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. That's why it's first. Actually, in terms of timing, Mark is the first gospel to be written, because if you analyse Mark, Matthew and Luke both use Mark as a source. However, when they were putting the gospels together, Matthew was put first because it directly linked the Old Testament to the New Testament. And if you think about the timeline, Jesus had to come to the Jewish people first. That fulfilled the prophecy. And the woman actually understands this. The word dog is an inferior, but the woman doesn't bridle. She comes, back, comes up with this immaculate counter, a well-known phrase. Yes, Lord, she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Tom Wright, again, a little quote which really helps understand this passage. Certainly for me, I hope it does for you too. Where he says, The woman's faith broke through the waiting period, the time in which Jesus would come to Jerusalem as Israel the Messiah, be killed and raised again, and then send his followers out into all the world. The disciples, and perhaps Jesus himself, are not yet ready for Calvary. This foreign woman, the Canaanite woman, is already insisting upon Easter. Now that is useful, isn't it? So the woman, in a way, is making a prophetic request about what will happen. And if you look at Jesus, I think when he says, woman, you have great faith, I think that he is contrasting the Pharisees with all their hypocrisy, blind guides. He's contrasting himself. If, 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 you're, if, you're teach, if you're a teacher question, how do you feel when Jesus says, are you so dull? It's good, it's the point. I, I believe that's actually a sort of challenge. It's not a critique. Come on, guys, think. That type of thing. But Jesus is working with the disciples. He's training them up to do what? To bring in the gospel after he dies. He trusts the salvation of the world to 12 people. That's an amazing thought in itself, isn't it? The power of the Holy Spirit. But here we have this woman who breaks through all conventions and says, yes, Lord. It's a fantastic picture. And I'm going to suggest tonight, as I conclude now, that it's a picture of no persona, authentic, real faith that Jesus gets and acknowledges and says. So how are we going to land with this? Well, what I'd like to do now is just to propose that we're going to have a song in a minute which will be a response song, Purify My Heart, to verse 2. Cleanse me from my sin deep within. Cleanse me from my sin deep within, we will all say, we all sing. But also, we just think for a moment on these readings, the set readings for today, being preached out in many, many churches, reminding us that we are part of the one church in Christ's name. And in that church, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, man and woman. All of us are under God's mercy. That's his gift. That's his amazing gift. <coughs> amazing grace. And he wants, don't forget, God knows us completely, doesn't he? He knows us better than we know ourselves. That's also quite humbling if you let that thought 
just land for a minute. I'd like just to pause now, reflecting on those things, God's love for all of us, honest us, no persona us. And maybe now, as we, as we sing this next song, Purify My Heart, we're going to sing, we'll sing it through once, then we're probably just going to listen to the musicians, just, just listening or humming, we'll see how it goes. But just let, let the Spirit just reach deep inside. Let's invite you to do that. I will too. And we'll then go straight into communion, join communion, uh, which we'll, we'll, we'll just stay here. We've got some uh, wine and we've got some non-alcoholic wine, wafers. Do you dip here? Is that, I mean, do you do, if you want to have a slurp, have a, I mean, okay, right. Okay, right, okay. So we can dip first and slurp <laughs> afterwards. There's quite a lot to dip in. So we might, we might, might enjoy a slurp in celebration of our forgiveness, correct? We could do that, couldn't we? I, don't, I think that's okay. Otherwise, I've got to drink it all myself. That'd be rather splendid. But, but more, more importantly, there will be prayer ministry as well during communion. And we're going to be down here. So it's, it's, it's rather special to do this in this intimate setting. Is that, is that all right? The ta- Lord's table is an open table. Everybody's welcome to receive bread and wine. So... I just pause now for a moment. I'm going to say a short prayer in a moment. But if the musicians could, could you get ready to sing, to sing Purify My Heart? And we will sing both verses too. We will then go and continue as um, we're led between us. We discern that as we go along. Okay. Father, thank you for this community here. Thank you for the joy of understanding your word together. Thank you for being earthed into your one worldwide church, this thought that around this country, further afield, people are thinking about these passages today and what you're teaching us. Thank you, dear Lord, that you teach us by your Spirit. And now, dear Lord, if you seek to apply and respond, we are going to time of communion, that most intimate of services in your presence. Send your Holy Spirit amongst us. Allow ourselves to be examined, dear Lord. Let us allow ourselves to be examined by you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come, Holy Spirit.